Information Overload Hour. Our friends Big and Rich releasing their Stay Home well tune that they put out. I don't want to stay home, John Rich. I want to go out. I want to go out. I want to go to a baseball game. I want to go to a football game. I want to go to a, a Big and Rich concert in, in some outdoor amphitheater and, and have a few beers and, and maybe a little bit of that old... Uh, Oh, there's a special whiskey that I know I, I recently got. I can't remember uh, Grandma and Rich's recipe. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm right there with you, Sean. I, I can't wait to uh, be out there giving those concerts and and uh, mixing it back up with. It's, it's got to be killing you, right? Country. Because oh, this dude, this it's... this is your busy season. Oh man, right now you know we would be. This is one of the busiest months in the year. Is June, July, August, September, obviously. We were going to do about 70 cities this year, and so far we haven't done one. And wow. we're not really sure when we're going to get to do them. So I don't know, man. We're we're crossing our fingers that there's some kind of breakthrough out there that uh, makes people comfortable, a vaccine, a, a medication, something like that. But uh, well, we, we'll Listen, the, the good news, I can, I can report this. I mean, we do know that they broke the sequence of this virus down faster than ever in history. It took weeks. It usually used to take years. Uh, they've now gone, they've now little, literally whittled it down from a hundred or so possibilities to 14 clinical trials taking place. Uh, they're saying anywhere from September to January, a vaccine, but more importantly, there was a British study. Dr. Oz told us about earlier this week that people that are having severe respiratory distress, that there's a steroid treatment that's helping them and saving uh, 33% additional lives on, on top of all the other treatments that they've had. Uh, other, other, we're getting better at dealing with hot spots. That's good. The one anecdote that I use, John, is uh, I lived right in the epicenter of this. I went grocery shopping every week. I went to my drugstore every week. And where I would go, which is very busy, there I see the same guys, you know, packing the shelves every week. And the same cashiers cashing people out every week. They used the plexiglass. They all had masks. They all had gloves. And not one person, not one in any of those stores got sick. The masks work. I mean, that's I, I, I'm just telling you, it would be impossible yeah. for all of them not to get this virus uh, if the mask didn't work in some way. Uh, we've come a long way. I mean, you know, I think it. now we're kind of at the point with all the things you just laid out. I think Americans should be allowed to make their own risk assessments. You know, in Nashville, it's pretty crazy. We have a, a really liberal mayor here who uh, all the neighboring counties, for instance, have Little League baseball going on. But for my 8- and 10-year-old boys who have been waiting all year to play baseball, he still won't let them play baseball. But the Walmart or the Kroger or the Home Depot are packed to the brim with people, but the kids can't play baseball. So, you know, there, there's some – 
really parallel universes going on amidst this whole thing that I know a lot of people around the country are dealing with the same thing. I will be honest, that, that gets pretty dadgum aggravating when your eight-year-old asks you, Daddy, is the mayor going to let us play baseball this weekend as you're walking into a packed Walmart store? It, it doesn't make any sense, does it? No. And, you know, it's, it's funny because the, the people have been p- pounding the president for having, they had a, a, like a million two wanting to go to his rallies. Two, he's now holding two of them in Oklahoma tomorrow. And they're going to do temperature checks. Everyone's going to have to wear a mask. And, uh, you know, it's funny because in the middle of all the, the protesting, and there were, there were peaceful protests, there was universal agreement uh, and outrage and indignation over the, the video of George Floyd. Nobody I know disagreed that that can't happen in this country. Um, but then the, the ensuing r- riots, the looting, the arson, the taking over city streets, burning of precincts, not the peaceful protesters, those anarchists. Yeah, America's outraged. And the politicians didn't say a word about COVID-19 and social distancing either. So, But if, it's a, if Trump calls it a rally, now all of a sudden COVID's top, top of the mind news again. My suggestion is he just call it a protest and, well, everybody will be fine with it. Well, I mean, isn't a rally a form of freedom of speech? I mean, the president has a right to speak and people have a right to be there to hear him speak and voice their opinion by being there. I mean, I would look at that as freedom you know, I mean, you know what, John, I, I, I'm tired of being told what I can and cannot do. But I've said to this audience, I'm going to wear a mask when I go out. I, you know, I was in the epicenter of this. I, mm-hmm. I have no problem wearing it. You know why I want to wear it? Because I don't want grandma to get sick. I don't want grandpa right. to get sick. I don't want moms and dads to get sick or kids to get sick. But for my own personal self, uh, I wouldn't otherwise wear the mask. But I'll wear it just in case for other people. Sure, why not? Doesn't yeah, is it I'm really that big way. a deal? It's not that big a deal to me because it's only going to be over a short period. I'm the same way. You mentioned my Granny Rich earlier. She's uh, almost 89, still runs her own business. You know, she's she's a she's a stud, man. She's something else. But that that's what's on my mind too. If I go somewhere, is okay. I'll pop a mask on because I don't want to take anything back to Granny Rich. So I'm, I'm on the same page. With Redneck you. Riviera whiskey, Granny Rich edition. <laughs> that's right, man. Nationwide, RedneckRiviera.com's got all the stores. She's doing great, by the way, and said to tell you she said hello. Tell Granny I said hello, and that we send our love and our prayers to her. Um, and now your dad was a preacher, right? Yes, still he, is. Still, he, oh, still is. I mean, okay, but he, you told me once, and I might be wrong, it might be the wrong words, but you kind of said he was a heart, you know, he's like a fire and brimstone guy. Yeah, he's more of a revival-style preacher. So my, my dad has actually preached in prisons, he went to 32 Mardi Gras in a row and preached on the streets in Mardi Gras every year. I mean, wow. he's that style of a, of a preacher and not not really the kind of guy most congregations would probably want to hear every Sunday morning. But, you know, <laughs> you can't done, say that about your dad. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. Well, he would have, he'd be the first to agree. No, no. He, he's, he's there to preach to people, as he says, needs to hear it the most. It might be the only time they ever hear that message. So he's always laid it on them laid it on him hard and still does. So yeah, I grew up with a dad like that. Father's Day's coming up. You know, Can I, I ask a question about Mardi Gras. Sure. Did people ever, you know, in the midst of the madness of Mardi Gras, go over and talk to him and say, uh, hey, uh, I think you're right. Absolutely. That's why he kept going back. You know, he would have hundreds of people that would throw stuff at him, spit at him, throw beer at him, be nasty wow. to him. And then you would have one person out of, out of maybe a hundred that would come up and say, Tell me more about what you're talking about. And 
you know, he people got converted to Christianity in the middle of Mardi Gras from my dad standing out there being a witness. That's a fact. Well, I guess we know where you got your uh, got your, you know, you, you got that that big and rich, you know, bigger than life personality. Um, I think I know where you might have gotten it from. You might have gotten it from Granny Rich and your dad for sure. All right. So what are you doing on Father's Day? How old are your kids now? Uh, two sons. They are eight and ten. And wow. uh, that was, they grew up fast. It seems like yesterday. They're growing up fast. Yeah. The, the only good thing about not doing concerts this summer, it'll be the first summer since they've been alive that dad wasn't out doing concerts. So I get the whole summer with my kids. So that that's actually a, a great thing. And uh, we're going to go out and see my dad, who we were just talking about. You know, great fathers. Being a great dad is probably the most important job a guy has. Be a great dad first. You know, um, I told the story earlier in the week. So I lost my dad six months after I started at Fox. Uh, my mom, not that long afterwards, too. But um, and I had been gone out of New York for 16 years. And, you know, I come back. I mean, he was he was aware I was what I was doing. And, you know, but then he started to be able to I got him a satellite dish so he can watch Hannity and Combs in the day. And then I did a late night radio show uh, at a local station. Uh, I call it the ex-wife in New York. And uh, he would stay up 11 or 2 in the morning and listen to the whole show. And whenever I'd see him, he goes, where did this all come from? What, how did this happen? <laughs> you know, he couldn't understand it. Um, grew up in the Depression, four years in the Pacific, right. World War II. My mom grew up poor. She was a prison guard all her life working double shifts. And, you know, and I just, you know, my, my father just, I said, Dad, you used to scream at me. You used to yell at me to turn that stupid radio off because I was listening to the early <laughs> pioneers of talk radio all night long. Right. I was a lunatic. <laughs> it's, it's, well, it's what am. you love doing it. It, yeah. it was your pursuit of happiness, man, and you did it, and you're great at it. I'm sure your dad is so proud, looking down on you. No, it was either that or he thought I'd be seeing my mom every day in prison, so it was not much of an option. <laughs> it, was, it was either going to go one, one way or the, or the other. other. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, yeah. I, listen, we, Linda, and you, Linda, put on your mic because you you got to get in this. Yeah, boss. So we were talking about this yesterday. Mother's Day is like the holiday. Let's be honest here, right? Father's Day, we kind of get shortchanged a little bit because Mother's Day, you got to go all out, right? And now Linda thinks that I'm wrong in this. And for me, you know, my birthday, presents, Father's Day, just a call, say hi, I'm good. That's First all of all, you can't even be a part of this conversation because you're not a oh, normal person. Nobody Hannity, can give you the Sean any Hannity presents. show. Oh, okay. I can't be a part. You go. Go. Well, you asked me to participate, so here I am. And you're welcome. Hi, John. How are you? Um, I'm good, Linda. <laughs> so in all seriousness, so today we're doing something really fun. You know, we're, we're giving back to the audience and... You know, John was so gracious. You know, we started talking when he sent me this uh, funny song that him and Kenny did. And I was like, dude, this is hysterical. I'm like, we got to do something about it. And we wrote about it on the website and talked a little bit about it when it first came out. And I was like, you know what? It'd be so great to do like a Facebook Live because, John, you've been doing a lot of these Facebook Lives and they're super fun. And I was like, why not do it on ours and, you know, kind of give back to the audience and all the dads. So today, right after we go off the air at six, a little uh, over a half an hour from now, we're going to. Go right on to Facebook Live on Sean's page, and we're going to feature John Rich and um, all you people who wrote in those awesome stories about your dad. John's going to read a few of them in between doing some songs. So it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's a nice way to do something positive in this crazy time. Thanks for letting me do that. I, I put together a list of some of my favorite songs from uh, country music that talks about dads. Conway Twitty had one called That's My Job, which is one of the greatest songs ever. I'm going to sing that. And 
And yeah, Linda, I'm going to read some of those stories. Incredible what you sent me. Yeah, people, our audience from, is amazing. Are you going to do it from the John Rich bar down in the basement? <laughs> I, well, I, I'm not in the basement, but I am in the house. It will be uh, right here from my house in Nashville, <laughs> Tennessee. And, uh, you know, it, it's going to be great to sing to folks and interact. I, I wrote a song about my grandfather in World War II called The Man. I'm going to sing that. And you know, really just put a big a big emphasis on how important it is to be a great dad. You know, I, I'm a singer, I'm a songwriter, I do all kinds of stuff. But to me, the most important title I have is dad. Somebody calls me that, you know, somebody's looking to me to be a great one. So I, I've spent a lot of time and energy doing the best I can at that job. And I know we've got millions of guys just like that around the country. All right, stay right there. John Rich, uh, Facebook Live on, on my Facebook page. He's going to be doing a live show at, at right after this show. Most of them died in the 173rd Airborne On the 8th of November The angels were crying as they carried his brothers away With the fire raining down and the hell all around There were few men left standing that day Saw the eagle fly Eighth of November, one of my favorite songs. John Rich is with us, Big and Rich, and he's going to be doing a Facebook Live uh, special Dad's Edition. He's going to take some of the notes you have sent in about your fathers, and he's going to play some songs for us uh, on our on our Facebook page, Facebook Live, and you can link it to Hannity.com. Uh, also, you got a show on Fox Nation. I want to give you a chance to tell us about it. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, it's called the Pursuit, and um, I'm I'm having a blast doing it. It's it's based off the phrase that I've said a lot of times, which is our country doesn't guarantee us happiness. It guarantees us the right to pursue happiness. And the fact that we have the right to even go for our wildest dreams should inherently make us happy because we're the only country in the world that has that right. So on this show, The Pursuit, I search out people that have chased the American dream, that have been through a lot of obstacles to get there. They continue pursuing that dream and we hear their their inspirational stories it's everybody from you know rock stars and country singers to inventors to olympians and then even some people you've never heard of before but i know about them and their stories are so incredible from from being a homeless guy on the streets in la to now being a television host stuff like that and hey, um, you're talking you're talking about me again it. why why are you why do you have to talk about <laughs> uh john rich love it uh facebook live john rich will be there uh, you can catch him also on foxnation.com. Happy Father's Day, my friend. My best to your father and your family and your kids. And uh, yes, we have the right. We live in the greatest country God ever gave man. Live free or die, John Rich, because uh, we have an election in 137 days and everything's hanging in the balance. Hey, amen to that. Happy Father's Day to you as well, sir. You have a great evening. I'll see you on your Facebook page here in a few. All right. That's John Rich. It's on our Facebook page. Quick break. Right back. Your calls are next. It is a great honor um, to be able to introduce back to the program somebody I got to know during the campaign in, in 2016. Not, on, not only know, but know, like, respect on a very high level. This man should never have gone through what he's gone through the last almost four years now of his life. General Flynn, it's an honor to have you. And Sidney Powell, the great attorney she is, um, a champion of truth and justice. Uh, job well done, Sidney, and uh, welcome both of you to the show. Thanks, Thank Sean. you, Sean. 
General, let's just start with, I know there's a lot you can't talk about, and I won't, I won't go there at all. I promise you have my word. Um, let's talk about how you must feel today. Um, I, I see the president has just called on Obama FBI officials to apologize to you. Well, it's, it should be more than an apology, but your reaction. Yeah, so first of all, Sean, you're on the other end of this phone is Sidney Powell, and I, I call Sidney Americans, America's guardian angel of justice. She came into our lives, into the Flynn family life at a, at a real tough, tough time for a decision. And, uh, and you know, obviously we're, we're sitting here today having this conversation uh, with a really positive outcome because of Sydney's just unbelievable dedication to the truth and to justice. And in terms of how we feel today, my family feels amazing. I mean, we have, uh, as you said, we've gone through this almost four years. I'll have a lot more to say in the future about, you know, the, the sort of the, the kinds of things that we have uh, seen and what I have been part of. And frankly, you know, looking at, uh, at service to this country and what does it mean? But our, our, uh, our country uh, is at risk. It really is at risk. And if people want to continue to sort of breathe the, uh, the fresh air of liberty, uh, you really need to, uh, you know, to really step up to the plate, support and defend those kinds of issues that we're all dealing with that are facing our country today. And what I have always been about is service to the nation. And uh, I fought a lot of foreign enemies in a lot of different places around the world, spend nearly five years of my life away from my family and in combat operations in support of, you know, foreign policy objectives. And never in my wildest imagination did I ever feel like I was going to face a domestic enemy like I've faced in the last four years that Sydney just uh, helped us slay. So I do want to make one other point to you, Sean, and to you personally, and for all your listeners, but to you personally, thank you so much for just being there from day one, from the very beginning of this thing, and, and nailing it to the nth degree, getting it right from the beginning, and then for the support of your listeners for helping us get through uh, this, uh, this fight that we've been in. General, you know, whatever we might have been able to contribute to get the truth out, I appreciate it. But we could never repay. So one of the things that really angers and upsets me more than anything else about all of this, sir, is you have devoted your life to this country. You have put your life in danger for this country. You have been in combat zones for this country. And the, the, the great travesty that one day the story that you will tell and that this country needs to hear is mm-hmm. it, how do we treat a 33-year veteran hero the way you've been treated. I, I'll tell you, General, um, and I have been in touch. I remember the last note that you sent me. Um, you just said, I can't talk. I cannot talk anymore. And I never wrote you again. Mm-hmm. And I had stayed in contact with people around you. I'm pretty sure you know who. Um, and just checking on you. And uh, I will say that if we don't get this right, I think the, the greatest country God gave man not perfect, but the greatest, that has accumulated more power and abused it less and used it to advance the human condition. No power, no country's ever done this. It's all at, at stake. And yeah. I just can't imagine 
what this is what this has been like for your family. Well, keep in mind. So you know, if there's things that I fought for and that I believe in, Sean, in this in the in the United States of America, the the thing that makes us different than all other countries in the world. And I have I have experience on six continents and against some really in some really lousy places against some really difficult enemies. The thing that makes us different is something called the rule of law. And that's what makes us special. We follow the rule of law in this country. We're supposed to follow the rule of law in this country. And, 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 and Sidney Powell that you, that is on with us today and who's been this unbelievable lawyer and, and friend uh, of mine for the last over, a, well, in fact, the last couple of years now, but certainly over the last year, she knows this stuff in spades. But if we do not, if we do not fight for the rule of law in this country and protect it, we will be in the dustbin of history going forward, and we will fight. We will fall to this socialist monster that is bearing its ugly head down on the streets today in America. So, rule of law is is part and partial to why I did the kinds of things that I did, and I'm not sure that I really understood that when I was a young officer or even as I got more senior, but I definitely understand it today because the rule of law was clearly at risk, and, and now it is being corrected, and I think today is a demonstration to the American public, to your listeners, that, just, that our justice system does work when a bright light is shined on the truth. And that bright light, that flashlight that was being held by Sidney Powell, shine that flashlight bright on the uh, on the truth of my case, which began and, and has and continues to expose a lot of the uh, corruption in parts of our federal government that we are all now aware of because of some of the great reporting that you've been doing. They stole four years of your life. Um, and I'll ask you one last personal question, because um, I'm, I, I, I know this is an important day for you. And, you know, part of me is so happy that the truth can't see you. I have no idea. It makes me happy. A part of me is so angry that this could happen in this country. So angry. And the fact that there were so few of us. I had a little ensemble mm-hmm. cast here on radio and TV. And, and, and I know you were on with the, the great Rush earlier and the great Mark Levin. I mean, there's been a, a few of us. I can't mention everyone's name, but there weren't many. And there were some in Congress no, digging right. for the truth. And not enough. And then you have this hey, whole media right. establishment right. trashing you, trashing your family name. And I'm like, what was the worst moment for you and your family? Yeah. I, I, well, uh, what I would say is, number one, you know, those that know me, I, I am not a hateful or a vindictive or a scornful type of person. Okay, I'll, I'll uh, take the, on that the, role the for thing, you, okay? Well, that's I'll all take, right. I'll and, take know, that it does, on. It, it, doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that I am not a fighter and, I'm, and I don't have the, the resolve to, to do the kinds of things that I believe need to be done. I will tell you that, that uh, you know, my wife and I have been, been together since we were 13 years old. We... Uh, we have great faith in our in our lives. We have a dy- a dynamite family in our lives, and you know some of them, and you'll you'll meet others. We have a superb family, both sides, my wife Lori's side and my my family, my brothers and sisters, and her brothers and sisters. I come from nine; she comes from seven. So we have a tribe, a clan, if you will, that that uh, has been standing shoulder to shoulder with us, fighting, and then friends. 
true friends, Sean. When the times are tough, you find out who your true yeah. friends are. And you I do. will tell you, in this, in this, you really do. And in this period of time, I have seen, as you just mentioned, people that have developed into, into what we call in the Flynn family, friends of the Flynn's, because <laughs> it's guys like you, it's guys like Rush, it's guys like Mark who have seen through the, the nonsense and, and some of, the, some of the, the, the deep levels of corruption because you guys have been around long enough to, to know the kinds of, of issues that when you see something and you scratch beneath the surface a little bit, you go, oh, something's not right here. And, and uh, you guys have been on it from the beginning, from the very beginning. All the other people that have said all the kinds of things, I don't have time for them, and I don't have time for, for hate in my life. I have, my, my focus is always, you know, in the, in the military, I always used to use the phrase, always forward. What, is, what do we need to do next? We have a problem, we're going to solve it, and let's move on to the next big problem that we have. And our country right now uh, has some extraordinary challenges that we're going to be dealing with in the future. And, you know, and I, uh, I mean, I, I like to think that I've, I've given what I've given, but I still have a lot more to give. And, Sean, General. this case shows how, how fragile the rule of law is and how easily it can be lost if people do not pay attention to what is going on and judges are result-driven instead of law-driven. Mm-hmm. You know, General, um, my prayers of many in this audience have been answered today. And this is just hopefully a first step to correcting this wrong. You know, I always talk about the 99% of good people in the premier law enforcement agency in the world and the premier intelligence agencies in the world. But that 1% that abused this power with corruption, you don't need to comment. I will, we will, we will seek justice every day until it happens. Uh, I want to send my best wishes, all the prayers. And it's not just me, this great audience that I have on radio and TV uh, mm-hmm. so many praying for you, so many happy. There's a part of me that shares in the happiness, but a part of me that is resolved and pissed off. And I, I we better get to the bottom of this or we're going to lose this great Republic. Yeah. And that, so I, and I would just double down on that, Sean, to say thank you to you personally. And I've, I've watched you fight, not just for Mike Flynn, but for, for our country. And I want to thank your listeners because it's, they're the people in this country that are going to make this country continue to be a great country. It's not, you know, I mean, there are guys like you and I that are, that are there. and We mix it up in different ways in our different fields, but it's really the American public that has to continue to step up and, and believe in, you know, like I say, if you want to breathe the fresh air of liberty, you've got to fight, you've got to give up. You know, you've got to sacrifice, and you've got to have the courage and the resolve to do that. So I just want to say thank you very, very much for, uh, for all that you've done for my family and I. All right, General Flynn, we look forward to with a day you can tell the whole story. Uh, a good day for the Flynn family today and a good day for the United States and for the Constitution and justice, but it's just the beginning, sir. Uh, can't wait to see you soon. We'll take a break. Sydney, John Solomon, Greg Jarrett. Quick comments when we get back. Senator Tim Scott, oh, he went crazy on the Senate floor today, and he's right. That's coming up. Bill O'Reilly, more straight ahead. Roll along. We have uh, Sidney Powell, great attorney work. John uh, Solomon, uh, justthenews.com. Greg Jarrett wrote two number one bestsellers on this. All right, let me, Sydney. first of all, thank you. You did an amazing job. John, thank you. 
you've been on this since March of 2017 with with the small group of us. Greg, a phenomenal work on your part all the way across the board and and all the other contributors in this. Sydney, tell us where we are. Well, the court, the D.C. Circuit today, granted our writ of mandamus to tell Judge Sullivan to sign the order dismissing the case and vacating his order appointing Mr. Gleason, former Judge Gleason, as any sort of friend of the court to do any briefing on the issues at all. So that should dispose of the matter. Uh, Hopefully, Judge Sullivan will go ahead and, and follow the court's directive. Technically, there are other procedures that might be pursued, but I've never, I've gotten probably 20 writs of mandamus against federal judges in my career. I've never seen one not just go ahead and do what the Court of Appeals ordered him to do. Amazing. Uh, John, you've been reporting on this. We started this, and I remember what I said to you that day I keep do. on peeling the layers of the onion. Yeah. Yeah, well, a big part of the onion got exposed for what it was today. And I think not only by the judge's ruling, but by the release of these notes that were turned over to Sidney Powell just uh, 24, 48 hours ago, we now have evidence suggesting that President Obama and Vice President Joe Biden sat around talking with the FBI about ways to get Mike Flynn for a call that was deemed to be legit and for a criminal case that had been recommended to be shut down because... There was no evidence of wrongdoing. That ought to send chills up the spine of every American, whether you're a Democrat, Republican, or independent. Presidents and vice presidents shouldn't be plotting with the FBI and how to get their enemies. And you notice, Greg, in this new, this new information today, oh, this now brings in the question, what did Barack know? What did Joe know? What did Comey know? What did Rice know? What did Sally Yates know? And when did they all know it? Well, and one of the ways to get to the bottom of that, to get answers, is a civil lawsuit for money damages. General Michael Flynn, who is a, an American hero, should, as I have written repeatedly, sue the very people in government that persecuted him without evidence under the pretense of a legitimate prosecution. What happened to this courageous man who served this country selflessly in great distinction should never happen to anybody. He deserves rich compensation for a life and legacy that has been ruined by odious characters, and I will name them, James Comey, Andrew McCabe, Peter Strzok. As you know, I think all three of those should be behind bars, but they should also be sued for what they did. And uh, an apology is owing to General Flynn. And hats off and my greatest respect, my uh, friend Sidney Powell, who, you know, is a hero in all of this. Uh, Absolutely. I, By the way, all of you are. I, and I just, I honestly, I, I need to say this to all of you. Thank you. Thank you for your, your unbelievable dedication to truth and justice. Uh, we'll have a lot more on this tonight. We'll have you guys back again uh, tomorrow and the days following. Pretty amazing times we're living in. All right, 25 to the top of the hour. We've got uh, all things uh, BillOReilly.com. Simple man coming up at the top of the hour. A lot going on today, including General Flynn, which we're just talking about. Uh, I tell you this happens every two and four years. Well, here we go again. It's an election year. Nancy Pelosi. Republicans are trying to get away with the murder of George Floyd with the police reform bill. We have to address those concerns. Uh, So when they admit that and and 
have some suggestions that are worthy of consideration. But so far, they were trying to get away with murder, actually, the murder of George Floyd. Well, what reforms have the Democrats done uh, after Ferguson? What did Joe and Barack and Pelosi do after Baltimore, Cambridge and all these other incidents? Nothing. Not a thing. And then this type of incendiary rhetoric. And then, by the way, Tim Scott will join us in a minute, literally imploring in a passionate speech on the Senate floor, uh, Democrats to not walk away from the police reform bill. But they are anyway, because they're playing politics. Listen, I've offered as many amendments as necessary for this bill to be seen by the public in consultation with the other side. Let it be their bill. Not Tim Scott's bill, not the Republican bill, not the Democrat bill, but a bill that starts to address the issues that have plagued this nation for decades. This is not my start. I started five years ago when I could not find voices that would push forward reforms brought to attention by the Walter Scott shooting in 2015. I'll close with this. I respect people that I disagree with. They have the right to disagree. My pastor tells me I have the right to be wrong, which means that I'm not right all the time. But on this one, if you don't think we're right, make it better. Don't walk away. Vote for the motion to proceed so that we have an opportunity to deal with this very real threat to the America that is civil, that is balanced. This is an opportunity to say yes, to say yes, not to us, but those folks who are waiting for leadership to stand and be counted. That was Senator Tim Scott, great state, South Carolina, a passionate uh, speech about uh, reforms that are desperately needed. President already laid out his executive order. You know, with all with all of, you know, the Nancy Pelosi's of the world, Republicans are trying to get away with the murder of George Floyd with this police reform bill. Well, what did Nancy Pelosi, Barack and Joe do after Ferguson and after Baltimore and after Cambridge and after all the what, what did they do for the city of Chicago for crying out loud, which was Barack Obama's hometown? Nothing. Barely mentioned it in eight years. It, look at what happened this weekend. A hundred and four of our fellow Americans shot, including 12 kids and 14 are dead. We now are up to 900 cops that have been injured. Rocks, bottles, uh, bricks, Molotov cocktails, and yeah, knives and guns also. We have nearly eight, we have six, six dead now confirmed. So many others injured, nearly 900. And yeah, who said to get rid of chokeholds? Sean Hannity said it. One of the first people, because I do martial arts, I train every single day for 90 minutes a day. You know, only if, only if your life is in jeopardy. That you're, There are so many other options, more training. Who's been saying we need other non-lethal options than that stupid stun gun, which doesn't really, is not, what you think it is, it, I know it's a deadly weapon by law in Georgia. That is not the most effective product on the market because I've, I've bought one. I've bought them myself. 
Senator Tim Scott is with us. Senator, that was a great plea today, but I, I, I sense it's falling on deaf political ears with 132 days till Election Day. Well, Sean, you just said the most important word, not ear, Election Day. Two words, Election yeah. Day. The Democrats are absolutely, positively, unequivocally committed to one thing. It's not the communities that they say they care about. It is to themselves. It is to a political process that drives the stake, not into our hearts as Republicans, but into the heart that needs to know that we as a nation cares. It's the, that's one of the reasons why I respect you so much. You said from the beginning, chokeholds have got to go except for the life of the officer. We have that in our bill. They have that in their bill. But they were not willing to come to the table and say, I'm willing to work with Republicans and not care who gets the credit. They care more about the credit. You know, Senator, you know what infuriated me, and, and it was really more of a headlock, and I know I'm getting into technicality in the Garner case, but this is what infuriated me about that case. Do you know why... That happened with Eric Gardner. Do you know what they were were, were arresting the guy for? Selling yeah. Lucy cigarettes. In other words, like Marlboros, instead of selling the pack, you sell them one at a time. Right. You know, I mean, are we really going to wait? Now, you can't walk through the city of New York, Senator, without smelling weed every five, every five feet. <laughs> yeah. It reeks of skunk in New York City because of that, that idiotic drug, which I hate. You know, and I'm like, why are we wasting valuable police resources on a guy selling Lucy cigarettes? Leave him the hell alone. I, I can't. I, I'm sitting here uh, agreeing with you and, and, and yelling amen in the background because you're exactly right. Eric Garner, the death was unnecessary. But more importantly, we cannot continue to demonize everybody on every side and point the finger. We have to be willing to say that was wrong. Most officers are good. That was wrong, and we're going to get rid of bad apples. But the situation that happened today that continues to happen on the Democrat side is that because they have a monopoly in minority communities, they no longer perform. They don't produce. There is a terrible return on the investment for minority communities. That's why our party, or at least my party, the Republican Party, we are standing up as conservatives, and we're saying we're going to fight for every vote everywhere all the time. You know, listen, I, Senator, this is so important, the things that you're saying here. Yes, these reforms are needed. You know, I've, I, one of the things that frustrated me when you look at the George Floyd case, and I've been, I've been practicing now seven years, and I know I'm a student of the martial arts, seven years, okay? Uh, yes. Brazilian jiu-jitsu, Japanese jiu-jitsu, uh, Krav Maga, and Kempo. I do, wow. uh, I do uh, defensive at work with, with weapons, firearms, sticks, blades, you name it, we do it. Situational uh, defense, protecting, being able to protect myself. The guy was in handcuffs, Senator. The, the most vulnerable part of the human anatomy is one's neck. Yes. All they needed to do to a guy in handcuffs is if I took two fingers of his, which you can get when he's in handcuffs, and I just slightly manipulate them, slightly or if you take your, you put a palm of your hand in your face, just push, push with the other hand, push it down. Those things, they will bring people to their knees. Absolutely. And they don't, uh, but most cops are not trained to do that. That frustrates me. That's why we have to increase the resources. The, the, the funding police is the most 
ridiculous idea of all time. We need more resources for training. We need because if we teach officers how to de-escalate the situation, I am not where you are, Sean. I am a student of Shotokan and mm-hmm. been doing it for about five years. Mm-hmm. You can learn very quickly how to bring someone to their knees. And if they're already handcuffed, you don't need to worry about that. If you're on your stomach handcuffed, you're not a threat anymore. But if you are trained as a law enforcement officer how to deal with that situation and you understand the forms of de-escalation, the forms of communication that are effective, we will, we will avoid a number of these situations. But without the resources, the Democrats are literally blocking the resources that could literally save lives. I don't understand you know, it, Sean. It's so I, frustrating. I, I, this is a no-brainer. You know, and Nancy Pelosi has to say Republicans are trying to get away with the murder of George Floyd, really? Terrible. Shameful comment. Shameful. And it's, it, it's except for these idiots in their underwear, anonymous in, in their basements, keyboard warriors, there's universal agreement on, on George Floyd. No, yeah. I don't know any Republican. I don't know any don't conservative. Either. None. That none. didn't look at that tape and share. Literally, it shocked the conscience of a nation. Absolutely. But, you know, we have bigger problems here, Senator, and that is, well, what did what did Joe and Barack Obama do in Chicago in eight years? Nothing. What did they do after Ferguson? Nothing. And and Baltimore? Nothing. You know, the president, as I understand it, you spoke for hours with members of his staff and Mark Meadows and Jared Kushner and the president to to come up with the executive order and to talk about this bill. And I was told if my sources are right. Everything you requested, they said yes to. They said yes to stuff I didn't request, like the national database. That was outside of my reach. The president went further than my request. I I, I thought that was a bridge too far, but he said, Tim, there is no bridge too far in this conversation. Uh, This is what people miss about President Trump. You may not like his, I always say the president's love language is not words of encouragement. That's just not what he has. By the way. That's actually funny. I think that's a really good line. Go ahead. But, but By the way, I don't even know what this love language stuff is. But, but he does acts of service. So his policy positions expresses how he really feels on every topic. And on this topic, I watched that man, our president, sit down with a room full of survivors, families who lost their loved one to police encounters. He didn't say a word for 45 minutes. He took in every single pain that was presented to him, every piece of scar tissue he heard, every trembling voice. And he said to the attorney general, fix it. He was amazing. And this is, this is what people miss. They missed that the president came up with an executive order that moved this nation forward. When Van Jones, who, who himself says he is so liberal to the left, he's almost right, but not quite there. When Van Jones says the president's executive order was meaningful, it was real, it was intentional, no one covers that in the press. No, no. one wants to give the president a microphone when he's helping the poorest, no. most vulnerable people in the country. Hey, that would be opportunity zones. That would yes. be the, the longest commitment with the greatest amount of money for historically black colleges in America. Absolutely. Uh, that would be the criminal justice reform bill. That didn't 100%. happen with Joe Biden. Uh, that would be, you know, record low unemployment for every minority and demographic group in the country. 
That's what, that's what he... Now, he's been in 100%. office less than four years. You've been in office how long now? I've been there for seven years in the Senate. Okay. Now, you have Joe Biden's been in politics 50 years. Nancy Pelosi, 44. You look at, wow. you know, Chuck Schumer, 40-whatever years. And you look at Dianne Feinstein, 60 years. And Maxine Waters, nearly 50 years. Okay, what has Joe done? What has he done in 50 years? Tell, somebody tell me, because he, he's well, not talking. He's hiding in his basement. Well, Sean, I have one answer for you. May I give it to you? Yes, sir. He passed the 1994 crime bill that ah, locked up more African-Americans. Didn't he use that term? Exactly. He said that poor kids might one day be as smart as white kids. I mean, this is a guy that they're giving a pass to on his outrageous, egregious comments that are far beyond the place of disrespectful and irresponsible. But he gets away with it because he's got a, a D for Democrat by his name. It's frustrating. It is very, very frustrating. All right, quick break. We'll come back more with South Carolina Senator uh, Tim Scott as we continue. All right, as we continue with Senator Tim Scott, the great state, South Carolina with us. You know, I, I just, you know, one of the things I know we've been talking about, and we don't know Joe Biden's position on anything, but one of the things we've really all been discussing is, okay, uh, America, the, the statues, et cetera, et cetera. Can we first fix and make sure every American is safe and secure in their home, in their neighborhood? Let's do that. We could do that. I believe as Americans, we have the ability to do it. Rudy and Bernie Kerrick did it in New York. Then, then I want to fix our educational system because literally all of God's talent and, and all of our young children is there. Education bring forth from within. We got to bring yeah. it out. But if you don't have a good school system, you can't. And yeah. then, you know, all this other, then we let's become a more perfect union first there. Those two simple things are not getting done. Well, Sean, I said the exact same thing in a different way. You said it better than I. Here's what I said. I said we should spend more time creating the future before we spend too much time framing the past. Let's deal with making sure our kids have the best economic mobility, the strongest educational system, and the poor zip codes, that they have the work skills for the gig economy. Let's talk about financial literacy and literacy. Let's break the pipeline from education to incarceration by improving outcomes. Yep. Let's not have an education system designed for, te for, for teachers' unions. Hey, Senator, I got to let you go, but okay. my TV God staff bless. says we can't book you. Will you come on the TV show tonight? We want you on. I will make. I will, I'll do my best to make that happen. Senator God Tim Scott, South Carolina, uh, solving problems. We need to solve problems. Thank you, sir. I think if we want real reform, like real reform that can change communities, it starts with law enforcement and partnering with them, um, not demonizing. We can't let uh, some, some bad apples uh, uh, represent uh, something that's a core of any community. All right, News Roundup information, overload hour, Sean Hannity Show. Get to your calls coming up uh, this hour. That was Jerome uh, Smith discussing law enforcement reforms. He works for the president. Uh, he, along with Mark Meadows, the chief of staff, Jared Kushner, uh, they had conversations yesterday uh, specifically with Senator Tim Scott and some, um, some other prominent senators uh, about what reforms might come. Uh, joining us now is the pastor, Pastor Patrick P.T. Ingolo. He is the lead pastor of uh, the Resurrection Houston Church, which was George Floyd's church. Um, and obviously they, they had the service and burial for George Floyd yesterday. Uh, apparently he was also very good friends with jo George Floyd. 
Uh, first of all, Pastor, um, all our thoughts and prayers are with you and his family and all of his many friends, and um, um, this should not happen in this country, and, and I'm going to get into some of the details in a second, uh, but it certainly has shocked the conscience of a country, I'll say that. Well, thank you for having me. You, you, you are very close friends with him. Now, you, you get all these different reports. I'd rather ask the people that knew him than I don't trust the media, to be very honest, even though I work in the media. Um, you were his friend. You read this story. He had lost his job because of coronavirus, went to Minneapolis in search of a new life. Uh, tell us about him and where he was and how close you were to him and his life. So I, I met George uh, while I was trying to plant the church, Resurrection Houston, in the Third Ward area. It is literally um, uh, moments away from where he grew up, the CUNY Homes Project. And I was trying to break into that place. Uh, I'm not from there. And so the Bible calls the people who help you break into a neighborhood, it calls them persons of peace, men of peace, sons of peace, whatever you want to use. And so, man, he literally uh, basically told us, man, if it's God's business, it's my business. And he opened up the neighborhood for us to be able to do work there. People trusted us because they knew him, because we knew him. Uh, he's loved. He's admired. He was respected. He had been through the wars and had seen things. And he was able to uh, mentor people who were there. But then also, I mean, for me personally, uh, provided a pathway for me to do ministry in the CUNY Homes Project. So he was a great instrumental figure in the things that myself and others were doing in that neighborhood. And man, his journey uh, on redemption was amazing. The fact that he was able to get to Minnesota and do the work that he was trying to do as far as uh, get his commercial driver's license. And man, it just seemed like he was cut off in the middle of his prime. Uh, we, I, I just had my martial arts instructor. I've, I've been a student of arts now and training four or five days a week for seven years. And one of the things we were talking about is um, unless your life is in jeopardy, you, you, the, the most vulnerable part of a person's body is the neck. And for over eight minutes, you know, you see George Floyd's face being pounded into the pavement. And the the autopsy bore this out by Dr. Baden, you know, with the facial abrasions that he had, that's how hard his face was in, in, in the pavement. And he, there's nobody can live through that. That is a predictable, that, that is a death sentence. If that's you, if that type of force is used, it's a death sentence. And we spent a lot of time talking about that. Um, as you now spent a lot of time with the family and friends and, you know, what are some of the reforms you would like to see, um, in terms of, uh, how there is interaction between police forces and people in communities. Um, I, there has been a, a diversity, a diversification of many of the pol large city police force where you have a majority minority officers. Uh, that's taken a long period of time to happen, but it has happened. What would you like to see? Well, Sean, I mean, in your business, uh, you've got the uh, FCC as accountability, right? You've got every year they promulgate some rules and you know i'm sure most of us don't read them you probably don't read them but uh, no, i usually i'm accused of being a rule breaker pastor I, I'm, <laughs> I'm one of those that have sinned and fallen short guys <laughs> no i got you but uh you know and uh in my i moonlight as an attorney they've got a state bar 
for the police officers, one of the things that even in my city, the Citizens Review Board accountability with real subpoena power is something that has been illusory, even in, in, in my city. And I think, man, just real accountability, accountability from people who are not politicians would go a long way to, because these things, well, things like this should never happen. But when these things happen, there should be the ability for people to hold the police officers who are tax, uh, who are being paid by our tax dollars. They should be able to, we should be able to hold them accountable. Well, they're being held accountable in this case. One of the things I think is good for the, for communities and I think is good for officers themselves is body camps. That's something that you can do easily. We, you know, both on themselves and also in their cars. So we, we have a frame of reference. I mean, this would be a very different court case if we didn't have the seven minutes, 55 seconds on tape and it, and it went on even longer than that. Um, and I think there are, I think certainly training is, is a part of the equation. Um, we have a, a citizens review board in New, in New York City, and I've not really seen a lot of good come out of it over the years. And unfortunately, like everything in politics, it becomes politicized. Um, and you have people with agendas everywhere. It's sad, actually. Um, but I think that, you know, I, I look at other more, I look at underlying problems. You know, every weekend, you know, we have all these people being shot and killed in Chicago, for example, and it's gone on for decades, Pastor, decades. And now, you know, nobody's ever tried to fix the problem. And I don't understand that. And then we have all of these big cities where we spend more per capita for, per child than any other industrialized nation on the earth. And, and we have in Baltimore, for example, they, the third highest spending city per student in the country. And they have 13 public high schools, Pastor. And not a single child in those schools is proficient in math. I mean, how do we fail at that level and and then just keep reelecting the same people that don't fix it? I don't get it. So, Sean, you, you may or may not agree with me on this, but uh, institutional racism is is something that is alive and well. And I think it's at the very fabric and core of uh, most of our not not all. I'm sure not all, but most of our institutions. And I think there needs to be a reevaluation as to uh, whether these institutions are working for. But here's uh, what I want to ask you. Most of the cities that I'm talking about where the violence is at record high levels and it's predictable and it happens every weekend and nobody ever deals with it. I remember once on TV scrolling the names of all the people that were shot in Chicago uh, during uh, Barack Obama and Joe Biden's term. And, and they, that the president, vice president at the time barely mentioned it. You know, these are these are our cities and states that have been run for decades by Democrats. They claim to, to have a monopoly of compassion for uh, minorities and they're not fixing the problem. Well, how do you not fix those problems? To me, I'm a fixer. Fix the problem. So, so, so Sean, can we do both and and not just either or? Can we look at uh, crime in the cities and uh, accountability from people who are in power, who we entrust with our. Okay, you uh, can do both, but don't we first have to stop the water from coming onto the boat? We have to stop the violence. Defunding the police, Pastor, is not going to stop violence. Well, well, I mean, 
common sense reallocation, if if that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, every year you as a you're you're a business and you reallocate where you put your resources, whether it's going to be production or uh, marketing or advertising. It's the same thing with the uh, police. We we should evaluate what we're using our money for. Like, for instance, you, you talked about body cams. Uh, as a moonlighting criminal defense attorney, I can't tell you how many times that those cameras have been off. And I'm like, well, wait. Those cameras should be on. These are simple. Amen. Mandatory. And they ought to have a live view. Right. Let me ask this. So I was debating Al Sharpton one one year at his National Action Network headquarters. Really, you know, we packed a room. We had thousands of people outside banging on the door. Let us in. Let us in. And I started out and I said, Reverend, let me ask you a question. I said, do you believe in God, the father of all creation? Yes, I believe that. I said, do you believe that Jesus is the son of the living God and and took on the burden of man's sins to reconcile us to that one God? Yes. And it's like, well, why do we disagree on everything else if we believe in the exact same creator? Hmm. No, I get, I get you. Uh, you, well, you agree I mean, with me, right? You believe what we believe? Yeah, I believe, the pe- I believe in it. And I, I bet you're a better Christian than me. No, 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 I'm definitely not. Uh, I believe Christianity isn't, is, is the narrative isn't perfectionist redemption. So we've all got stories and we've all got past. And, and that's what makes us rich and unique in Christ. It, he can take us from one place and bring us to another. I, and, and I agree with you that we, we serve one triune God. But I also agree that that one triune God displays himself not just in his unity, but in his diversity. He's one in three. So that there can be a diverse community of people with different ideas, but still uh, working together to be one in their diversity. Uh, and so, uh, you know, you, you can look at the differences of opinions and say, well, it, shouldn't we be one? But then if you look at God and see that he's one in three, you can say, okay, we can be okay. unified in our diversity. Let me ask this then. Is this a correct observation? And if it's not, tell me I'm wrong. I don't... You know, I've noticed, I've lived in five different states, a lot of times you have Christian churches. Let's stay with, and I'm a believer in freedom of religion, but Christian churches in particular. Let's go. This is a great conversation. Go okay. ahead. I'm listening. So, so in, a, in one area, it's predominantly African-American. In another area, perhaps it's predominantly white. Why don't we start in the churches and say, okay, well, if that's the case in this neighborhood or that neighborhood, why don't we, like, you know, why don't we, we'll come visit your church one week, you come visit mine. Wouldn't that be helpful? Man, Dr. Uh, Michael Emerson writes on this. You should have him on. He, he talks about uh, the churches being divided by race. It's a great idea. If you, if you, in our city, uh, the beginning of the church in our city in Houston, uh, it was one, I, the Methodists were the first to get here. They had First Methodist Church. In First Methodist Church, uh, they had, the white worshipers were in the, in the, in the front, the black worshipers or the slaves were in the back, Eventually, they split off into uh, two churches, the slave church, and then they had the First Methodist Church. That church now uh, is, is, has, uh, is called Antioch, I believe. And so when you, when you think about that, uh, we have typically been divided in white and black ever since uh, slavery, even before slavery. And so w- w- you see the fault lines of of um, 
tension but division in the I middle of break. our churches. But couldn't we couldn't we start there? If you believe we, on the religious side, because you, you agree with my observation. You, you, no, we definitely even, need to start there. I think if we start there, that would probably be a pretty good start, right? No, we, we definitely need to start there. And, you, and, then, and then you build out from there. And then we add three more churches here, here, there, and everywhere. And then definitely. when we all get to know each other and we have this common denominator of, of faith, hopefully that could unite the country. I'd like to see that. What do you th- think it would take for... Of maybe white churches in particular to give up power and say, "Hey, let's let's unify these churches." Uh, listen, I I I would personally now I'm going to admit something I shouldn't admit, Pastor. But I don't get to go to church that much because I'm so busy. Um, but uh, I I would love that idea in a heartbeat. I think it's a great idea. We we, we have a commonality here, and it's we not do. just a commonality; it's the commonality. True. It's 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 our humanity coming together. Yeah. Because how can but, we raise the conscience of a nation if if the church, who is the conscience of the nation, is divided? The one thing that this case is not, it's not Republican-Democrat. It's not liberal-conservative. This, this, there's universal agreement, except for maybe a few lunatics in their underwear, keyboard warrior psychos. Everybody <laughs> agrees few, this should never have problems. happened. Everybody, <laughs> no. said, everybody is shocked by this. Yeah, and this is a human issue. This is, it, it, and the, all right, but I got to look. Why don't I hold you over a few more minutes, then we'll get to people's calls, because I, I like this conversation, Pastor. Um, and we do me one favor, too. Please send my thoughts and prayers to George Floyd's family, and then the prayers from my audience to them, that this I, I can't happen so. again, that this should never have happened and can never happen again, ever. All I right? will do so, and I'll hang on. I'm here. All right, Pastor uh, Patrick uh, in Glolo. He's the lead pastor of the Resurrection Houston Church. That was George Floyd's church. More on the other side and your call straight ahead. All right, on the other side of this, we're going to continue with Pastor Patrick P.T. Inguolo, who is the lead pastor of the Resurrection Houston, George Floyd's church. I want to remind you, look, I used to do my own breaks. I'd do tune-ups. I'd do uh, starters and alternators and you name it. I pretty much did it all. I look under the hood of a car now and all I see is computer this, GPS that, electronics here, and I don't know anything. I can't fix anything anymore. I wish I could, but I can't. Now, when something breaks, though, it's very expensive. Now, whether your car has 5,000 or 155,000 miles on it, carshield.com, they are there. They've helped over a million people already that if some expensive repair comes about, they will take care of it all for you. Very, very inexpensive. You get the right plan for you so that you're not hit with a big car repair payment. You also make the decision. You want the dealer to fix it? All right, the dealer fix it. You want your favorite mechanic to fix it? Okay, your favorite mechanic fixes it. Also, you get included with this 24-7, you know, coast-to-coast, roadside assistance, and a free rental car while your car is being fixed. They've helped over a million people. And right now, all you have to do to uh, protect yourself on the road is call 800-CAR-6000 or go to carshield.com. Use the promo code Hannity. You save 10%. Uh, That's carshield.com or 800-CAR-6000, promo code Hannity. And you will have, well, insurance, safety, and security that you need for you and your family when you're out. We'll continue with Pastor P.T. in Guolo straight ahead. All right, 25 till the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the uh, program. Uh, pastor uh, Patrick P.T. in Guolo is the lead pastor of Resurrection Houston. That was George Floyd's church. His burial was yesterday. The service was carried, I know, on Fox yesterday. Uh, 
Uh, Pastor, I didn't know you were a criminal defense attorney, I believe you said, and you've been watching what we've all been watching, and that is we've seen riots, we've seen arson, we've seen looting. Uh, We now, the total is 749 police officers have been injured. They've been hurling, not the peaceful protesters, those agitators, they've been throwing rocks, Molotov cocktails and bricks at the cops. Uh, We have over 20 dead now, including a number of police officers that have died. And I want to get your thoughts on that and also your thoughts on this this idea, defund the police. Okay, let's go with the first one. So, um, man, uh, Martin Luther King would say rioting is the language of the unheard. Now, while I empathize with the fact that people feel like they have not been heard, and not I have been taken advantage of. I, I would I, I probably while empathizing would would fall on the line of uh, of uh, active nonviolence, and would say, hey, w- if we keep going with active nonviolence as a, as a as a method of progress, I think that we would do the same or better than if we were to allow. Uh, our basic impulses to take over and to be violent. On the issue of uh, defund police, I think it's the naming that probably gets people, and and I think it probably was done uh, intentionally, but I think when you look underneath the surface, it's about let's analyze and look at what we are doing with our police resources. Oh, is $100 million going to community uh Community policing is, you know, so the name is catchy and it gets your attention. But I think it's more so about, man, what are we doing with our taxpayer dollars? Well, I mean, the the reality is if you say defund, that means you defund. I mean, you heard the the city council leader. I mean, they they now have a veto proof defund. And when the mayor said he did not agree with that, you know, my next question is, uh, who are you going to call? Now, look, I'm. I'm trained in in the use of a firearm and have carried a firearm with me for the, you know, since uh, I'm I'm 20 years old, uh, legally, of course. Um, I'm trained in the use of a firearm since I'm 10. I've been doing seven hard years of martial arts, mixed martial arts training. Um, I, most people don't have that. A lot of people are even afraid of guns, period. That's why I I mentioned a non-lethal alternative uh, that I have purchased, which is called Burner, B-Y-R-R. Uh, NA, if it's on my website, if you want to look at it, and I, I, I paid for my own, but everyone says, "Oh, you're doing this for money." No, I'm not. It's, I'm just telling you, we need not we need non-lethal alternatives. But who are we going to call? Who will people call? Who, you know, what about grandmas and grandpas? What about no, our no. older moms and dads? They don't have the ability to deal with criminals to break it into their house at midnight. Who are they going to call? What are they going to do? No, I, I I I agree with your sentiment in that uh, I've lived in country. Well, I'm from a country that doesn't have a uh, doesn't have local police forces, and so what happens is people who have the resources are able to get private bodyguards or whatnot, and so and then also you're not able to enforce the rule of law. So here, I mean, I don't think that it is a practical reality to say no policing. I do think that we should be more thoughtful about how we use the resources 
to make sure that we have effective policing. Let me ask you this. Yes, sir. Okay, you want to be the host. Pastor, you take over. Okay, I just have a question, though. Should the same person who patrols the streets for criminals, should they be the same people who are responsible for being the first on the scene when someone is uh, on an accident or getting the cat out of the tree uh, or uh, when someone has a mental illness, should they be the ones answering those calls or should we have mental health professionals doing that? I mean, I mean, if if, 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 let's take this scenario. Home invasions are real, right? Um, Right. People break in and whatever, whatever it is. The bottom line is, Police police work is extraordinarily dangerous. Every time they pull somebody over, they have no idea what's on the other side of that that window when that window opens. They don't know. Um, that's why I like, for example, the cameras. Uh, I don't see any alternative except better training, body cams, uh, certainly the training on and understanding of what is acceptable and unacceptable force. I mean, George Floyd was in handcuffs, Pastor. He wasn't at that time resisting. He was saying, I can't breathe. You know, okay, now it, let's say uh, somebody's in handcuffs and they're thrashing themselves and spitting in cops' faces. Uh, I mean, with with little effort, just simple restraints and martial arts moves, you can get gain very quickly compliance. And that's what I spoke with my sensei on this program earlier today about. And so it's not that hard they don't know how to do it, Pastor, and they've not been trained properly. And it frustrates me because this think, did not have to think, happen. No. What do you think was behind the actions of that particular I, I, I have no, I have no earthly idea. My answer is, what the hell was this guy thinking? It is. What I do, am telling you as a martial artist uh, student, it is a death sentence, Pastor. I just look at it. That's what it was. What do you think the fellow officers were doing, not responding? I, it's inexplicable him? to me. Also, I don't. I have no clue. I can't answer that question. What do you think? So, if if I, the officer to me had multiple infractions, yes, on his record, how did he? How did he get a gun? In your opinion, how did he get? I, I, listen, in my opinion, I think we all need answers to all of that. You know, it, it also took on a political taint to it because Amy Klobuchar dealt with this guy apparently in the past. I heard that one or two of the the cops there too were like on day four on the job, um, probably just clueless. And I can also tell you that we don't train officers well at all. You know, uh, one of the reasons I mentioned the, this burner, which is a, it's a it's a it's a gun but it shoots projectiles that have tear gas and pepper sprays in it. And when it hits, for example, somebody, you don't kill them, but you can hurt them. And they become incapacitated because their eyes are, you know, they can't see and you get to escape. And if you made a mistake, at least the guy's not dead. And I'm not advocating people just start shooting these things. I'm saying only if your life's in danger here. Well, do you think that, uh, well, because we've been, I've run into this issue where, a guy leaves a police force, probably because he's got a mark, goes to a smaller police force in a, in a smaller area, uh, Mayberry, if you, you know, for lack of a better word, and the record doesn't follow him. The only time you know what he has in, in the presiding jurisdiction is if you, if you do some type of uh, public information act. 
so that, you know, with these police unions, these guys could have histories a mile long, but just be passed on to different police departments and nobody know the wiser. Well, listen, uh, I like the dialogue with you, Pastor. Um, I'm sorry that you lost uh, a congregant, a friend. Uh, my heart goes out to, to Mr. Floyd's family. This should never happen in America. Uh, like the rest of America, the, the, the conscience of a nation is shocked. And we, are be- we can be so much better than this. Just like we've got to stop violence in big cities. We've got to start educating, seriously fixing a corrupt educational system that has failed our children for decades. You know, the, the education, in my mind, that comes from the Latin derivative. It might surprise you, I was a seminary student at Ducare to bring forth from within. Well, that yeah, kind of, that's, a good that's one. predicated on the belief that God put it there, isn't it, Pastor? That is true. There's you know what? God put it there. School's us. job, we got to bring it out. That's it. Bring forth. That's already there. God put it there. And every child, every man, every man, woman, and child on this earth, the same God. That's what I believe. And that's why it's so frustrating. You have a, a political divide, and I get upset as a conservative when, you know, every two, four years, conservatives and Republicans are racist and sexist and misogynist, and they're xenophobic and homophobic and Islamophobic, and they want dirty air and dirty water, and they want grandma and grandpa to eat dog food and cat food before you, or a Republican leader throws them over a cliff when they're in their wheelchair. Uh, I, I, that's, I don't want to be friends with any of those people that believe that, and I don't know conservatives that way. Here's something that we both of us would agree on. I don't, I, so I don't believe that any president, Democratic or Republican, has dealt with the issue of institutional racism uh, because I think that, that that issue, while, yes, it could be divisive, there, there's an opportunity for a president, either this one or the next one or whatever, to deal with this issue head on and to initiate. I, I think you should go see the president. Conversation of race. I think you should go. Be, let me tell you, um, I was happy. We were seeing prior to coronavirus. What do we see? Record low unemployment for African Americans, Hispanic Americans, Asian Americans, women in the workplace, youth unemployment, African American youth unemployment. Record after record after record. The answer is success, and success has to begin in church and with an education. Forget all this crap. How about we get the basics in first? Reading, writing, math. That's it. Remember, um, you ever watched the movie Lean on Me? I, I did. I interviewed the real Joe Clark. Okay. Um, How was that? He loved his students. Loved them. And it was his passion throughout all the troublemakers, all the drug dealers, anybody involved in bad activity. And he said to the, the students there, we are going to succeed together. And he kicked everybody's you know what, and, and it worked and he succeeded because he loved them. We so, could duplicate that, Pastor. You can lead that movement. I'll follow you. We could. I, I've got one other question. So I love these, how you start interviewing me on my own show. Go right ahead. <laughs> okay. These school systems... Uh, you know, where I live, I live in, in the middle of Houston, Texas, uh, because I have family the there, way- you know, yeah, oh, you do. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to send well, them over to your church. Okay. Send them please. In the, it, some of these, because we work on the property tax system, place like, uh, HISD, depending on where the, the school is located, is going to have less money than, I don't know, let's say Cinco Ranch, which 
uh, Katie Sinker Ranch, which, you know, the average person probably makes 100000 or more. Uh, and so what do you think about the inequity of uh, uh, education I, I, I think, based upon the money and resources? Well, anyway, listen, um, I, I enjoyed our conversation together. And uh, my men are. I enjoyed uh, it as well. This audience's we thoughts and prayers are with you and and George's family, and we can't have this happen again. And we've got to work towards a more perfect union. I think I think Jesus would like that, Pastor. But I'm you're closer to him than I am. I'm just the guy that says guilty, guilty, guilty. Um, <laughs> we're we're as close as uh, uh, beggars are to uh, where they can find bread. And yeah, that's a good way right. to put it. I believe all that. <laughs> you know, we've got to, we can become, we, you know, we have made incredible strides in this country. We still have a long way to go, you know, but we, we, but, but we have, this is the United States of America. We're capable of doing anything. I believe that. We are a city on a hill. There's never been a country in the history of mankind, Pastor, that has accumulated more power than this one. And as my friend Barry Farber would say, abused it less. And I add, there's never been a country in the history of mankind that has accumulated more power and used that power, not perfectly, no perfect countries, for the advancement of the human condition than the United States of America. You agree with that? I, I definitely agree. And I think that uh, it has the opportunity, although we've, we've come, you know, there have been measurable strides. We, we've got some way to go because I think as King's dream of the beloved kingdom, I think we've got to learn to use that power in a loving fashion so that uh, those who may not have those, those, the poor, the immigrant, uh, the folks on the outside may have the opportunity to be a part of that community so that we can, we can say that we have, and you know, most people may not agree with me on this. We're trying to build the kingdom of God here on earth. Well, we got a long way to go. It will be done. Yeah. Amen. All right, Pastor. God bless you. Thank you so much for uh, being God on the bless program. You, man. Our Thank prayers you. for uh, everybody.